This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, slash register. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Schmidt with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, May 7th. We end the week with Deloitte's Chris Richard, principal in the firm's supply chain practice who spends a lot of time helping semiconductor and other high-tech manufacturers think about their supply chain and product development strategies. He says that when you compare supply chains in the automotive industry with those in the high-tech industry, one important difference is the depth of visibility procurement organizations have into the sub-tier supply chain. He also says procurement functions in the automotive industry are going to need to be more focused on what's happening in their Tier 2 and Tier 3 supply chains, particularly as electronic and high-tech vehicle content continues to grow. How do automotive procurement functions create that visibility? Richard says it needs to be part of a broader effort to create agile procurement functions that are, among other things, able to actively monitor supply markets, predict and prioritize risk and opportunity, and, perhaps most importantly, collaborate up and down the supply chain. The result? Well, according to the firm's 2021 Global Chief Procurement Officer Survey, its 10th, those companies described as agility masters outperform their peers on all major performance metrics. What else can automotive procurement organizations do to become more agile? What can be learned from procurement and supply chain management in the high-tech industry that can be applied to procurement and automotive? And how important is having the right talent? We've reached Deloitte Principal Chris Richard in Phoenix, Arizona. Chris, thanks so much for joining me on the Daily Drive podcast today. How are you, sir? I'm great, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your schedule. So let's hop right in. Automotive industry has been broadly impacted by the semiconductor shortage. Can you shed some light on what's going on here and why perhaps high-tech companies are not experiencing this same sort of disruption? Sure, Steve. So, you know, really, really interesting situation here, obviously tracing back to the, you know, the early days of COVID when the world really didn't know what was happening, what was coming, right? And and most, you know, companies got quite conservative on the forecast, you know, uh, and at that time, you know, I'd say it's both automotive and, you know, and high tech and many, many industries right, right, right away. Um, but what, you know, shortly happened there is, you know, the forecast started getting dialed back, right? Con- you know, concern about consumers, you know, discretionary income, ability to spend. And, um, and so those, uh, those re- reduced forecasts worked their way back through the, the, you know, the tiered supply chain in the auto industry, eventually reaching semiconductor manufacturers who, who, you know, you know stopped production uh, or cut back production. I should say on on uh, you know on that that rate of orders that they had been filling, um, you know as that reduction was hitting uh, those semiconductor manufacturers around that time, everyone kind of realized well the world's starting to work from home right and we need computers and displays and and communication technologies and new cell phones and routers and, and everything that comes along with that. So then the orders started to really, really go up on the high tech side, right, for, for all those types of devices that enabled working from home. So it's kind of a, a double whammy that is kind of circled back around to, uh, to hit the auto industry as, you know, orders got cut a long time ago. Uh, all that capacity got filled up. In fact, the semiconductor industry has been growing right through COVID with, with unexpected increase in demand. So now that the orders have come back, uh, the, the capacity is already booked by other, by other industries. 
And in this particular commodity, it's interesting for a couple of reasons, right? So one, the long lead time, 26, 28 days uh, in a in a supply chain that tends to work just in time. And also this factor of automakers and suppliers are competing with consumer electronics companies, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, my, my question is, you know, there are companies that are faring better than others. Can you explain those things that deliver perhaps better performance, why they matter, and perhaps a little bit about how the automotive industry tends to approach procurement and, and some things they ought to be thinking about and changing that in response to the semiconductor issue? Sure, Steve. Um, that, that sounds like three questions. Let me try to hit them all and you uh, prompt, prompt me if I don't, don't get them all. Uh, first off, uh, I think, you know, for the listeners, you said 26, 28 days, and I think you meant 26 to 28 weeks, right? The, Absolutely. For the yes, most ad- yeah, yeah. For the most advanced, uh, yeah, that's an important difference, so I just wanted to highlight it. But for the most advanced chips in the world today, the big graphics processors, the big, you know, central processing units, you know, the big, you know, server chips that are, you know, uh, in, in the server farms, uh, you know, those are, you know, a half a year to produce, right? From when you start production uh, in a wafer fabrication facility to the time it gets into the finished goods warehouse and can ship to a, a customer um, you know, that could be, you know, 20, 26 weeks. It's really, really long for these, you know, some of the world's most complex, uh, you know, semiconductor devices, right? And then what has to happen after that is that goes to maybe a tier three supplier, which goes to a tier two supplier, do a tier one, and then finally into the automobile. So really, really, really long, long supply chain there. Um, and uh, I think, you know, one of the things that's, that's, you know, caused the auto industry to struggle is that multi-tier supply chain. And, you know, if you're uh, an OEM and you work with, you know, tier one to provide some kind of control model, you know, they may work with a tier two that has, uh, you know, doing some printed circuit board assembly within there. And that, you know, may be the tier three might be the semiconductor company. So to make it through all those subsequent stages, even after it leaves the dock of a semiconductor company's warehouse, you know, you've got weeks and weeks after that. So really, really, really long supply chain. And and the reason I bring that up in terms of kind of procurement, you know, supplier management best practices, if I contrast that, say, with a, co- a personal computer manufacturer, that personal computer manufacturer is dealing with that semiconductor manufacturer directly, Right. So they don't have three or four tiers of suppliers in between them. They might have one. It might, you know, might be an electronic component distributor, but they're really working with them directly. So those lines of communication in the tech industry, uh, like consumer electronics, you know, any computing, anything, you know, uh, mobility devices um, uh, or mobile devices, I should say. But you know, can it, they've got all these direct working relationships. They they work with them together on the design. So very early in the life cycle, they work with them as they're ramping the product and debugging it directly. And then, you know, all those relationships carry over, you know, into sourcing and procurement and how you, you know, plan, you know, forecast uh, and execute that, that, that the supply chain transactions. Right. And, but, you know, if you're an auto company, you're, you know, you're, you're four layers removed from that. So I think, you know, plain and simply the, it's been the the industries that are much more directly connected back to the semiconductor manufacturers that have fared you know better because of these you know multifaceted working relationships that have been in place for years and years and years. 
Well, supply chain visibility is a huge issue in in this industry, as you point out. Deloitte's recent CPO study, you know, states it 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 states you know this this notion, if you will, of what are high performing procurement organizations. And one of the stats that caught my eye was ninety five percent of the CPOs in the survey are likely to have high visibility into their direct tier one suppliers and half um, are likely to have low visibility in the sub tier of supply chains. It's very much similar to a survey we recently did April 13th through the 16th with our readers and the automakers and suppliers that responded to that said, yeah, tier one visibility is pretty good, but you dive deeper into that and less than half would describe that tier two, that tier three visibility as, as um, anything above average. So what do these companies need to do to deliver that supply chain visibility that is so important when you're thinking about a commodity like semiconductors that Again, you're competing against your competitors in this in this industry as well as a host of other competitors in other industries. How do you create that supply chain visibility? If I if I look at it in 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 a few different ways here, right? It's it starts with uh, the, the the product design and development, the relationship between that that OEM and really prioritizing certain components that are really going to affect the performance of the vehicle, the lifetime reliability of the vehicle. And, and semiconductor devices are, are really up there in terms of uh, warranty issues and causing, you know, challenges, uh, you know, for, for the end consumer that's, that's driving that, that vehicle. So facet one would really be, you know, starting with the design, building those, those supplier relationships and, uh, and, uh, and, and and kind of getting off on on the right foot for uh, you know a, a sometime multi decade decades long uh, relationship between uh, a, a tier supplier and and the OEM. Um, the second part I would move on to is I'll I'll call it um, you know deriving from that uh, intelligent you know bill of materials you know management and, and tracking kind of in a control tower mode. So we're seeing a number of our automotive customers, uh, you know, doing this right now, right? They've identified that there's limited supply of these components. They've looked at, they've worked with their tier suppliers to understand across which different modules are these components used. And they've basically gone into war room mode and say, okay, you know, there's a limited supply of a certain type of chip. And how do we direct that? How do we work with our tiered suppliers to make sure that limited supply is going into the modules we need to support the end vehicles that we want to sell. So we, we've got a, a number of OEMs that are doing that right now. That's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of a lot of micromanagement. So we we have had a lot of, of those clients ask us, hey, how can we systematize this? How can we automate it? How can we make this more efficient? So it's it's a more resilient you know capability for you know when something similar or uh, to this might happen in the future. And then the third thing is we also are deploying some really, really interesting web scraping technology. So in the second part I, I, I mentioned there, it, it's a very kind of structured approach where you, you know, as, as a company would proactively identify, here's, here's the components I need to really focus on. And there's a lot of manual uh, or human thought, you know, put into uh, human intervention into deciding what do I go trace? Well, We've also deploying uh, in a number of automotive companies, especially right now, uh, some technologies we have that do 
sensing at multiple tiers up in the supply chain. And I'm talking four, five, six, seven, eight, even 10 layers back in the supply chain. And, and these technologies allow environmental scanning back up into that ecosystem to identify potential risks. The, the risks could be, uh, for example, say we've mapped a supplier in a certain part of a, a certain country and uh, we're, and the technologies will monitor news events for that, that region of that country. And if, say, there's a COVID spike, we can get a pre-alert that says, hey, there's a spike here. Here's the suppliers that are located in this region of the country. Uh, let's get some extra orders in real quickly because there's a risk that the, the workforce may be impaired. So, you know, those are three different techniques that, that are, you know, we're working with a number of our clients on right, right now. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. Consumers today are pushing for remote and virtual experiences. What you may think is a simple fix by going fully online quickly results in an even bigger problem, loss of control and shrinking profit margins. The question isn't if you go online, it's how. How is it done in a way that you don't sacrifice the success of your overall dealership? The answer? Tune in starting May 17th for a virtual summit hosted by Reynolds & Reynolds. You will gain educational insight into all things digital retail, challenges to the status quo, how to retail anywhere without sacrificing anything, and the true impact on dealerships just like yours through one-on-one dealer conversations. This event is on us and on demand. Grab a seat while they last. We hope to see you there. To register for the virtual summit and learn more about retail anywhere, visit reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y.com slash register. The technology piece is so interesting to me because the technology exists, as you as you point out, that could help ward off earlier identify, and I even think if you find yourself in a situation, respond to and navigate that crisis. The survey that we did, we asked again automotive suppliers and 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 automakers, you know, are you planning to invest in technologies to create those earlier warning signs? Only 22% said yes, they were. Are, are folks perhaps missing the boat on this? Perhaps uh, is there an opportunity to educate folks uh, a little bit more about what type of benefits these technology investments can deliver uh, when it comes to supply chain management, risk mitigation, risk prevention, uh, and, and response to situations when they happen? It, absolutely. This, I, I guess the way I, I think about, Steve, is where, where we are, and, and I, I'm I've been working in in high tech supply chains for you know around 30 years now, so I've had the luxury over that time to see different trends emerge. Some take, some go away, but this whole trend or concept around multi-tier supply chain visibility really started to get some traction. You know, I'd say in the last five years, you know, it's 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 very much the an emerging frontier in supply chain, and it's really with COVID that it's it's for those, I would say, forward-thinking companies that were already experimenting with this, they were able to jump all over it and start to get some immediate benefits out of it. So it's very much on the frontier of supply chain management. Uh, there aren't a lot of companies that are working. They're, you know, they're very much the early adopters. 
but the you know the the power of these network modeling network uh, uh, network facilitation technologies to connect suppliers and customers and do that across uh, multiple tiers like we've been talking about, but also multiple partners, for example, connecting a supplier, a customer, a shipping you know freight company that has to trans um, has to you know physically move materials from from supplier to customer. You know, even cases with the insurance provider, right? If it's a, if it's a very expensive shipment, right? Being able to coordinate all these uh, as as an orchestrated network, this is is definitely the leading edge of supply chain. And there just there aren't. Whenever you're on leading edge, you just by definition don't have. Uh, you're not going to find more than twenty percent of people at the leading edge. Uh, you know, in my experience. So let's turn back to the chief procurement officer study uh, now in its 10th year. One of the things that resonated with me as I was reading it was this notion of agile masters, agility masters, very agile procurement operations. Can you describe what that means to be agile and how a company goes about building an agile procurement function? Yeah, well, let me let me hit a, a a couple aspects, you know, maybe not every every single aspect, but I, I think a couple that are really, excuse me, really relevant to to the situation we're we're in right now. Um, so one is is interconnectivity, you know, just a really strong daily working relationship with uh, I'll call it the the business users, right? If you think about a a, a sourcing and procurement. Uh, organization. They have a specialized set of skills. And what they're really there to do is understand that that biz- business needs. So for example, the business customer could be a manufacturing operation, right? That needs to procure, uh, that the procurement organization works with, you know, or works on their behalf to, to procure these supplies. And one of the most important aspects of agility is that really strong working relationship between, in this case, the manufacturing organization and, say, the buyer planner, so that that buyer planner is really dialed into the rhythm of the business and what's changing, and and they they're they're plugged into key decision making meetings, and they're you know connected with the technology so that you know the manufacturing production schedules and, and that are getting generated and the, and the forward looking plans are, are very much, you know, in, um, in, in, in alignment with what that, uh, that planner and, and buyer's responsibilities are. So that'd be aspect number one is, is that, is that kind of tight business connection. And then aspect number two that I would highlight is, is some of the best practices we've seen are, you know, rotations you know, through through the organization. So we've we've worked with some really fantastic uh, uh, organizations in companies that have very you know te- technical needs, right? Where where you, where you have to buy uh, the right quality product at the right performance specs, et cetera, and um, and rotating uh, and getting people, especially earlier in their careers, a mix of the engineering experience as well as that that source of procurement experience. Just proves to be really invaluable to to create agility because you've got uh, you've got someone there that really has a deep appreciation for what they're buying, right? Um, the the first example I've given on agility is kind of why they're buying it and what the needs are, but the second one is is what they're buying and, and what really matters there, and that just that opens up a depth of understanding that allows that buyer planner to 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 bring 
value to the you know to their business colleagues that that um, that we don't you know see in in most cases. So those are two aspects of building an agile organization that I think are really relevant to what's going on in this particular supply chain. Last week, I had a gentleman on the show, and we were talking about procurement and and doing some comparing and contrasting between consumer electronics organizations um, and how they purchase, as well as automotive and uh, companies, and how they uh, go about their procurement operations. And one of the things that he touched upon was this notion of a different type of talent in the procurement organization. He called it, described it as somebody that has a data-centric mindset that knows how to use uh, the data that is that is emerging from these new procurement models, these new approaches to procurement. If you're at an automaker, what are some things you need to consider with bringing a new type of talent, a different type of skill set into the procurement organization? Sure, Steve. Well, uh, one of the pieces, just linking back to the previous uh, discussion we just had is, you know, on that second point is, is, is one way to do that, right? You know, looking for people, if, if, if the procurement responsibility is buying a, a, a part that is, you know, aspects of, of engineering, uh, you know, form, fit and function, you know, one aspect is what I said, right? Bring, bring in engineers, right? Bring in people that, that know what they're buying and come in with that foundation and, and then have them learn the, you know, the sourcing and procurement disciplines. Um, another example, uh, linking to what you're saying around, around the data is there is a wealth of data, a wealth of information, I should say, buried in the data in, in these, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of procurement transactions that are executed annually in, in these companies. And it, it's just a treasure trove of information there. You can find, you know, correlations between usage and price. You can find, you know, trends that, that you had no idea existed if you're kind of caught in the day-to-day uh, transactions. So, the, the applicability of, of data analysis, you know, data science in the source and procurement function is is huge, and it, it's it's very much ripe for, uh, you know, for the right type of talent to come in and, and dig into that information and, and and understand that. And then maybe the third aspect that ties together is I'll just call it systems and technology savviness, right? All this data is buried away in these systems. It's not it's not always the easiest to get out. <laughs> um, and it and it's always you know you have the old mantra of garbage in garbage out if you're not using the systems in a way that takes full advantage of what what they can do uh then and you're not say collecting all the right attributes of the product you're buying then you know down the road if you try to go out and extract the data and analyze it uh you're gonna you're gonna have less than an ideal data set so that's the third part i'd be emphasizing is, you know, people that are technology savvy can use the systems to their, their full potential and use them in a way that that down the road you can really get some learning because you've built a powerful, you know, actionable data set. Let's close with one more question. This one looks ahead, right? This industry is pushing towards electrification. Most OEMs have announced plans in the next 15 years, you know, 10 to 15 years to update and their entire product portfolio to be more electrified than than powered by internal combustion engines. When you look at that future, I'm of the opinion that you have a situation like the semiconductor issue 
the risk of of repeating a situation like this. There are multiple companies that are going to be fighting for battery technology. The materials that go into batteries, whether you build phones, whether you build computers, whether you build cars, what are lessons learned from this semiconductor issue and this disruption and this shortage that ought to be applied, ought to be thought about now as this need for uh, batteries and other components of of electrification just continues to grow at what will be a pretty powerful pace. Yeah, I I, I think what you're saying, Steve, is that automobiles in the future, the the bill of materials, the suppliers, and the length of the supply chain for an automobile in the future is going to look a lot more like it looks like to make a personal computer. Uh, you know, you know, so I, I think the supply chain is going to shorten and uh, back to one of the things I was saying earlier, right? The, the most savvy companies have already started to realize that they need those direct relationships uh, from starting with design, you know, through manufacturing, you know, quality assurance, supply chain management. So I, I think that the skill set, the length of the supply chain, the relationship between the OEM and those suppliers uh, is going to is going to look a lot more like we would see in a in a in a company that's making computers today, because uh, it's just become such a, a really important part of the the performance of the vehicle, and you know. And in terms of focus, right, that's where they'll need to focus, right? So the big groups that, you know, focus on uh, kind of an internal combustion engine and the engine technology and all the transmission that comes along with that, you know, that that's not going to be so important or that's not going to be relevant, right, to, to some of the EV technologies. And so, you know, kind of refocusing from a strategic priority a, away from the mechanical drivetrain and the internal combustion engine and and putting that commensurate kind of focus on electric motors, batteries, bat power management, all those technologies is it's going to be a natural evolution, and it'll just look a lot more like uh, some of the other industries. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. Very relevant, very timely perspectives. Appreciate your sharing your point of view and your recommendations with our listeners. Have a terrific day. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. That's Daily Drive for Friday, May 7th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on more episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back on Monday.